Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTAD Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets. Just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. Welcome to the LTAD Network podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and today I'm speaking with Julie Goodrick. Julie has been a UKSCA accredited coach since 2009 and has led successful programs within schools and universities for over 10 years. Julie frequently consults on the initiation of many school SNC programs and advises on content, infrastructure, and viability. Julie is a member of the UKSCA Board of Directors and a lecturer at the University of Chichester. Good morning, Julie. It's great to have you on the podcast this morning. Thanks for uh, spending your time with us. Good morning, Rob. Thank you for having me. So for those who haven't come across you, maybe didn't hear you speak at the, at the UKSCA conference and haven't come across the work you've been doing, tell us a bit about the young Julie. What sort of sports did you get involved in? What sort of activities and, and how did that love of sport begin? Uh, so yeah, my name's Julie Goodrick. Um, I guess my love from sport started from a very young age. I always did a lot of different activities as a child. Um, when I was probably about 12 or 13, I started doing trampolining and I was actually an elite trampolinist as a, as a youth. Um, so I got a scholarship to university uh, on the back of that. And it was within that scholarship that that was kind of my first exposure to SNC, if you like, um, as that was part of the university program. And during my university years on the scholarship, I, you know, I really enjoyed the SNC side of training. I got very into the physical training. I enjoyed the sessions. I enjoyed discovering how it affected my performance. Um, and it was something I really looked forward to. And I guess that was quite formative in me wanting to go into, into coaching, if you like. Um, so I did sports therapy at university and I always knew that I would either go into kind of the injury side, the rehab side, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, after my positive experience of SNC, I, I kind of went down that route after uni. And is it fair to say that when you started, there probably weren't that many female SNC coaches about? You might have been a bit of a unicorn. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that's true. And I, I mean, there's still not that many now, to be honest, as well. You know, we've still got a huge disparity um, with the male-female um, divide. And obviously, that's something I'm actively working with the UKSCA to try and improve upon because, you know, it's not a you know, we've got a very biased population and we, we don't need to, but hopefully as well with the concurrent increase in funding with female sports, we're going to hopefully see that divide start to adjust as we, you know, over the next few years, I would hope. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and it's in the early years and even to now, to be honest, you know, it's something that has been quite hard sometimes and you do come across a lot of gender bias um, in how people communicate, how people talk. Um, and I'd probably be lying as well if I said I didn't come across it, you know, within my within my role. So. So talk us through some of those initial roles. So obviously, you know, you don't you don't go through uni and not do any practical experience. People are doing bits mm -hmm. and pieces on the side, getting their hours up. And then what did yeah. it start to look like when you came out of uni in terms of coaching posts and the various hats that you probably had on? Yeah, so when I came out of university, um, I got a job, I was fortunate in that I got a job straight away as an assistant SNC at a LTA high performance centre. So I actually started out in the world of tennis, which was a world I didn't really know a great deal about. It wasn't a sport I was overly familiar with. So it was a real learning curve. Um, and I was fortunate that, you know, my position was junior. So I got to learn from a lot of, uh, you know, the head coaches and, and so on. I spent a lot of time with them. Um, and I really kind of learned the trade there. So I was coaching kids aged from four up to, well, 21 was probably our oldest within that setup. Um, so a real spectrum of ages. And, you know, anyone that's worked within the youth sector will know that it really does hone your craft because if they're finding your session boring, they will tell you, they will sit down, they will start mucking around. So, you know, it really forces you as a practitioner to step up and start delivering sessions that are obviously doing the job, but are also engaging and fun. And, you know, it kind of it's a good setting, I guess, to work on your delivery. And you're fortunate as well in that you can kind of try stuff, you know. I mean, it's not to say you're trying, you know, really risky stuff and, and blah, blah, blah. But essentially, if you do a few things oh, that didn't work out it's not the end of the world. Whereas when you're coming into that elite setting, you know, that's more difficult, isn't it? As an early practitioner to try out some of your ideas and see what works and what doesn't. So I think for me, starting off in that setting was really, really positive. And it's certainly something that I think formed my coaching style. Um, after I'd spent, I think, maybe two or three years there in that environment, I, it just so happened that uh, one of the girls from Queenswood School was accessing our tennis programme and uh, Queenswood being a boarding school so her director of sport actually brought her over to the centre one day and was watching her training with me and after that the director of sport came up to me and said you know I love that session you did with Stone so um, she was like we're trying to formulate a scholarship program at Queenswood are you interested in coming on board um, so obviously I said yes um, very keen and we had a conversation and we just started off with a few hourly paid sessions at Queenswood so over the the course of the next year or so I was kind of splitting those two roles I was still doing the assistant coaching role and I was doing the hourly paid stuff at Queenswood um, and then over the next few years I just built that program at Queenswood and it became a full-time role for me after that. Yeah it's really interesting because it's one of the things you want to dive, dive into is the, the huge amount of variation across schools in terms of what the SNC coaches is, is delivering or what they're responsible for whether it is you know, a scholarship program or whether it is, you know, integration into PE, et cetera. But it is one of those things that I think if uh, SNC coaches that are in schools can kind of see some of the opportunities, a, a role can really evolve from a few hours like yours to a full-time role, can't it? 
Mm, absolutely. And I think it's quite interesting because when this director of sport approached me, um, you know, I think for most directors of sports or heads of PE, it's maybe easy to see the, the application for their scholarship athletes if they have that or, you know, if they want to build a scholarship program, they can kind of understand that because essentially what we're doing is mapping an elite model, which you see in football, tennis, whatever on the TV, and you're bringing it down a level into your into your school environment. So I think that is quite easy for people to understand. I think what is is less understood because obviously they're trained teachers, they're not trained SNC coaches is the application of SNC to your non-scholarship pupils and to the whole school, um, you know, as a, as a dynamic, if you like. So I think once you're, you know, maybe it's more likely that your, your entry level stuff is going to be servicing your scholarship group. And then perhaps once practitioners are in those environments, they can start to evolve the role and, and grow it and, and bring in as many participants as they can from that school. So let's dig into that. So what, what did that evolution look like? Like from basic things like facilities, equipment, hours, the number of athletes, the type of athletes, give us a bit of an understanding of that journey from being essentially a contractor coach to being able to flesh things out enough that, you know, the school said, actually, this is justified in employing you full time. Yeah. So we started off, I think we had eight scholars initially um, and the director of sport, you know, had an idea that they were all hockey players. Um, we, at the time we were, quite decent in the private school hockey competitions. So she had an idea, let's, let's formulate a scholarship program, give these girls that are turning out for our first team a bit of support, let's help build them up to become better athletes. So that, that was what it was. After I, and it, I think I did offhand, I'm trying to maybe two or three group sessions with those, with those girls. After I had done that and had kind of proven that the girls were getting into it somewhat um i you know I, I approached the director of sport i said we need more hours because i want to work more individual with these girls now um and also you know let's expand it to maybe our tennis players maybe our netball players so let's just push it out a little bit push the boundaries out um fortunately she freed up some budget and she agreed so we said yes um and went forward so we kind of growing the scholarship element like that if you like um after that it was quite interesting because, you know, within that initial few months, six months or whatever, the girls were quite resistant to doing it because they'd never had that uh, exposure to SNC, if you like. They found it quite an alien concept and a little bit, um, you know, it's quite daunting, isn't it, as a teenage girl to try something new and you feel a bit awkward. Um, but once we've kind of got on over that and um, they found they were getting into it, they would start to bring their friends to the session who would kind of sit and watch and, and take it in and think, oh, that's quite interesting. Um, and then I, I was getting a lot more interest from girls that were maybe on the fringes of the first team hockey, let's say, or, you know, that they were into sport, but they weren't sort of scholarship level. They weren't that county level and above, which was our minimum requirement. Um, so after I kind of understood that level of interest, I approached my director of sport and I said, well, how about we, we build some sort of transitional tier? OK, so we called it our principal's award program, um, which was kind of like a second tier scholarship, if you like. So you got access to SNC, but you didn't get the other benefits of being a scholar. So the aim was that you would come on, you would do your SNC, you would improve as an athlete and then you progress onto scholarship level. Um, so by this point, we're kind of building hours and we're building numbers and we're building interest in the program. Um, again, one of the things I think was really key for me uh, was I always had an open door policy. So anyone was welcome to come and look at the sessions, observe the sessions. They weren't allowed to you know, talk to the girls whilst they were training, but they were allowed to sit in the seats and watch. And I think that was really integral because what I found after that was that I was getting approached by a number of, of non-sporty, shall we say, um, girls 
who were saying, hey, you know, can I come and use the gym? Will you train me? Um, and I was kind of building a level of interest outside the, the sports environment. Um, so once I kind of understood that, I again went back to the, the director of sport and I said, you know, let's offer an open session. We'll call it the SNC Club. And we offered that after school a couple of times a week. And again, the numbers filled really quickly. So all I was doing within those sessions was really just teaching the girls how to train. Um, we did some lifting. We did some basic of let's learn how to use the machines in the gym. Let's just get comfortable with exercise and training and pushing ourselves and understanding this, this kind of environment, if you like. Um, so, yeah, we kind of built like that. And then, yeah, we just kind of continued expanding, I suppose, as we went through uh, until such a point where uh, I was able to leave my other role came on board at Queenswood full-time, um, you know, and by the end, we continued getting investment. We continued growing the program to such a scale that we could have assistant coaches and we, it became, you know, a whole, a whole thing within itself. Um, but I think what was really important as well was that communication with the whole rest of the school and demonstrating where your program sits within that school environment, um, inviting teachers to come and have a look, inviting teachers to come and train, and really just starting to affect that whole school ethos um, to get them to understand health, fitness, training, you know, this is what we do and this is where to come for it. Yeah, there's so much to dive into there. So firstly, from, from my perspective, did you have a bit of a plan of attack in your head or was this something that you naturally thought, oh, we can, we can then work with this group and we can work with this group? Or did you think, I've got a bit of a plan here. If I, if I do this, then I can do this and then I can do this. What was your kind of yeah. situation? I think when I first stepped in to those first eight girls um, and they had nothing, they had no equipment, they had um, an empty ballet studio, which was going to be my room, my training room, if you like. And I definitely saw the potential because, um, you know, I knew that others, well, there was a couple of other schools at the time, but there wasn't many, but I knew about the ones that did have these programs. And I thought, okay, well, we can grow something similar here. We've got a lot of girls within one area at a very important age and a very important stage of life um, you know so this is this has got good potential and I recognize that um, so I didn't really have a strategy in terms of I'm going to do this this and then this but I did I was kind of cognizant of each opportunity as it arose so I kind of kept my eyes open to what was going on and I think within about a couple of months of being there my personal goal was to make this the best schools program in the UK um, and I was happy with what I did with that because always I had the big vision that I wanted it to be a real seminal program, a real kind of standing out program. Um, and I think for me, that's why I kept on growing it and evolving it because I wanted it to be bigger and better and I wanted it to be successful. Um, so yeah, I didn't really have kind of a, a strategic plan as such, but I, I would say I kept my eyes open to what was going on. Yeah, I think that's a, a really important point because, you know, as we were discussing off, there's such a variety in the amount of hours schools may employing coaches, what those coaches are employed to do, whether that is, you know, just the scholar athletes or it's PE delivery, et cetera. But as you've kind of pointed out, there are a lot of opportunities if people come in with the right mindset to think, hey, I can see how I can make an impact there or I could see how these people would benefit from it. Or, you know, there's some extra bit here. OK, maybe it's maybe it's a couple of hours unpaid. But if I prove my worth, then I've yeah. you know, got a pilot project or a proof of concept. But it really comes down to the individual, isn't it? Sometimes people are in schools just sitting on their laurels, happy to do their five to ten hours right, and then go off and do something else. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important to bear in mind that when you're coming into this school's environment, you're the expert in this field. OK, the director of sport doesn't know more than you. and 
so when I was initiating this program at Queenswood, I would come with these ideas like, you know, one of my ideas was like, I, I want to present on the open day. I want to talk about this, this and this. And they were kind of like, oh, do, like you actually want to do that? And I was like, yeah, of course, like, because that's good exposure for my program. Um, you know, so they hadn't even thought of things like that. And another idea was to run the, um, the PG, what's it called? I can't even remember, PSHE, um, some of the sessions within that. So I was running kind of like the, the fitness and, and well-being side, if you like, which again, they hadn't thought of. But for me, it was just a different way to get exposure for my program. Uh, and also just to demonstrate how I can impact the, the school community as a whole, if you like. Um, so, you know, when I would say to new practitioners coming into these roles, just be mindful that your director of sport isn't going to instruct you on growth factors, okay, necessarily, they may, um, but, that, you know, they're unlikely to. You're coming in as the expert. So it's up to you as the expert to identify areas which your expertise can impact. Um, you know, and I think it's a real shame if practitioners are coming into these types of roles to just sit and deliver their five to 10 hours and then go home and do that year in, year out. I think that's a real shame. And I think that's doing the industry a disservice because it's still, SNC and schools are still very much in its infancy. And, you know, if we're not, dem if we as a group of practitioners aren't demonstrating our worth in these early stage environments, you know, 10 years down the line, these schools aren't going to be interested. So it's up to us, the people that are doing these types of early stage roles to be demonstrating the level of impact that we can have in this environment. Yeah, I think that's really key. I think, as you pointed out, and, and I've had this conversation with so many people that, you know, sometimes, and especially in a private school environment where, you know, one private school gets it, so they kind of have to almost one up each other. Oh, well, we'll get mm -hmm. one of those as well. It's easy yeah. to demonstrate value in a new facility, isn't it? To come and say, oh, yes. well, we spent 50 grand and we've got X amount of squat racks and bumper plates and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's a lot harder to demonstrate the value of the expertise of a person. But mm -hmm. if that person takes it on their shoulders and says, look, we could impact staff well-being by running some after school lifting sessions for staff. And, you yeah. know, now staff are brought in. And then when you have that conversation with the person, they actually know who you are, first of all. Yeah. Um, exactly. And they're like, oh, yeah, I can see you in a new bar because I've been in there and it looks like it's battered. Or Whereas yeah. often often coaches can just be in their little hideaway, whether they have a gym or they have a studio or whatever. And, and half yeah. the school doesn't even know what, what they look like or what they actually do. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's that's kind of one of the th key things I talked about at the UKCA conference as well, because, you know, I said the importance really, I think one of the reasons my program was successful in growing was because in those early years, I, you know, I very much made it my business to get to know everyone under that roof from the security guards at the front gate, you know, the cleaners, because you're going to need people like that at some point, you're going to need the security one day if you want to go in for a 7.30am session. Um, but more importantly, just so that you can you can kind of get to know people. And like you said, they then know who you are. So when people are talking about the athletic development program, people aren't scratching their heads and not knowing what that is. And I think another thing that's really important is just being present at things like staff room at break time. You know, go and have a coffee with other teachers and say, you know, hey, my name's whatever. I run the S&C department. Um, you know, just have a chat. Just you know, people are, are normally quite open and quite interested, I found, you know, because it's something a little bit different away from history, art, English, whatever else, isn't it? You're coming in with kind of a new thing that they've probably not seen really in other schools and they're going to be interested. So, yeah, just get yourself out into that school environment and, and meet people and be a presence. So when I mean, obviously, you've left that role now. So, you know, what what was the stage it was in when you moved on? What had it evolved into? Yeah, so I was, I was, uh, I went on maternity leave for my second child. Um, and after that, I decided it was time for a change. So I was ready to step away. Um, we just the year before I 
went on maternity, we, we got an investment. So it was a 1.2 million pound facility that we built. Um, from that, I think we were servicing around, it was around about 15 to 18 scholars. Um, we had probably 20 on our principal's award, which was our second tier scholarship. Um, but as a whole, we were servicing probably around another 15 to 20 non-scholars for individual sessions. So girls were just paying for those sessions as like a, a hourly paid activity, like they would do music lessons. Um, so we, you know, we had, it was financially viable. We had, we were making money for the school. Um, we would have internships coming in um, and it was, yeah, it was a fully robust program and I was really proud of it. Um, and yeah, I was proud to hand it over and let it continue. That's a pretty amazing sort of uh, progression when you think, you know, to start with a ballet studio and no equipment and a mm -hmm. couple hours a week to the point where you've demonstrated enough value that schools prepared to turn around and say, yeah, we're going to invest over a million pounds in a facility. That's, you've demonstrated some serious value over a long period of time, built the right relationships, you know, been influential. So fair play to you because that's, Thank there's you. a lot of SNC coaches that would like to do that, but perhaps yeah. don't realise what the bit in the middle looks like. Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting because I think the bit in the middle looks different for each person, but I think what is, and each environment, you know, each school's uh, going to be unique, isn't it, in its approach. But I think what's really interesting is, as I said at the start, just keeping your eyes open for actually where's the interest you know are girls peeping around the door and you know saying hey can I do that and if they are drag them in you know get it going so just be kind of reactive to those progressive opportunities that you see um, as much as you can and you know note things down test them two or three times a year so that you've got that data to present and when they you know when they win the national cups make sure you get your name on that as well you know oh look they did snc this year and look we've won this national title and all of a sudden the bursts are starting to get interested you know because that that's kind of building the rep of their school isn't it you know every time somebody gets into junior wimbledon make sure that the bursa and the influential figures are anchoring that success onto your program okay which 100 percent is of course it's not your program but you are a contributing factor into that and sometimes they don't make those connections you know so be almost a bit audacious in oh yeah because she's been doing the gym this year and she's worked on xyz and you can really see that in her tennis game and formulate the links for them you know because they're not the experts in this field and you are so sometimes people need it on a plate to see actually okay yes they worked harder and they achieved this success so the key person in here is our athletic development department yeah i think that's really key as well like one of the things that I mean, after you've had your eyes open, it seems so obvious, but obviously, you know, in all the other areas of school life, they're getting, you know, assessed in some format, right? Whether it's maths, English, PE, whatever. So you're seeing grades and you're seeing where mm. people are, but often some people are just delivering a program, not showing like a before and after of here's how much someone's improved or, you know, yeah. and, and that could be anything, right? It could be a 10 meter sprint. It could be a wellness score. Like you, in some ways, yeah. as you said, because you're the expert, you almost get to create your own metric that you're going to report. Yeah. But in doing Absolutely. that, you're demonstrating that value and, and people can buy into that. But if it's intangible and it's like, well, the kids really enjoy it. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. That, then it's just equivalent of an after school activity that's optional. And, it, you know, they could go and do yeah, this. Absolutely. I mean, they enjoy running around a field, don't they? But, you know, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. So, yes, you have to show something more than enjoyment. And I think, like you said, it's interesting because you can just kind of create your own metric, can't you? And I, I would test the girls three times a year on a, on a whole battery. Um, but once a year, I would put together an annual progression report, which I would send to my director of sport, all of PE, the bursa, like, and they pro probably didn't even read it for the first two years, but it doesn't matter. Just spam them with that because you know what? One day they will look at it and they'll see actually, yeah, they're starting to improve and there's, there's value coming in here.
one of the areas that um, I guess I've certainly started becoming more and more interested in or thinking is more and more valuable, uh, both in the private sector where I'm working, but equally in the school environment, is almost starting to use the same terminology or the same kind of way of, of thinking about things. So it, one thing I'm, I'm often really surprised by is the number of SNC coaches that are working in a school but don't have a demonstrable curriculum of how they're getting an athlete from A to B. So here's, you know, here's how we're going to walk in from you coming day one, you've never trained to, yeah. you know, it's going to take us X amount of months and then we're, you're going to try a back squat. Whereas a maths teacher can do that. An English teacher can do that and say, this is the curriculum for the year, whatever. But there's a lot of coaches operating in school where it seems to be either in their head mm-hmm. or, you know, in the ether somewhere, but taking the time yeah. to write it down. And, and it's like anything, right? It evolves yeah. and becomes a live document, but yeah, to be able to say, hey, this, just like your math teacher has a curriculum, we've got one and this is what we're doing. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's really important, like you said, because then you're only enhancing your communication with the other member of staff and it's easier for them to have that tangible feel because they understand that type of language. But I think equally where that becomes important in the early, probably couple of years actually of my program, um, quite often when new girls started, I would get an email from their parents, you know, what is this? Like, why does this child, why does my girl want to try this with you? Like, what are you doing? Um, and sometimes it was quite hostile. They, they were kind of like, what on earth is this? Um, you know, why, why does she want to do a session with you? Like, she knows she can go for a run or, you know, whatever it might be. So to have kind of that tangible document to, to demonstrate to people, yes, you know, we're not just running for an hour um, around the field or whatever, we're doing X, Y, Z and we're demonstrating this and blah, 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 I think really helps in, in, in gaining that buy-in, okay, from parents, staff, whoever else you need to convince really of your, of your worth and of what you're doing. Yeah, I think, you know, you start to put those things together. If you're, if you're starting to compile a curriculum, you've got mm-hmm. regular data demonstrating some sort of improvement, whether that is physical or, you know, mental well-being or just, you know, any anything that you, you want to pin your hat on. And yeah. as you say, you're communicating that to the higher ups, then mm-hmm. you are demonstrating your value. Whereas it's easy for people to sit where they are doing their thing and thinking, I'm doing a good job because these kids are moving better. But no one else is yeah. seeing that or appreciating that or understanding that. And therefore... Yeah when you come to have that conversation around, hey, I need five grand for some new equipment, they're going to go, well, yeah. what for? We don't know what you do. Yeah, why? Exactly. Like, yeah, why would we invest five grand versus, because yeah. we don't, we haven't seen improvement versus situation where you, you know, 1.2 million clearly shows mm-hmm. you've demonstrated a lot of value, you've demonstrated improvement, you've demonstrated you're contributing to that school environment. It's a much different yeah. conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I think that's really key, isn't it? Because People, sometimes I think people just assume that they know what's going on behind those closed doors. And I think that was for me, um, you know, a rule that I overturned because actually before I got there, not that they had any sort of gym structure, but there was always a real no watching activities type rule. You know, you couldn't bring your friends to your music lessons. You couldn't bring your friends to like your individual hockey lesson. Um, and I think for me, you know, early, early on, I kind of recognised that actually we need to flip that rule for, for the S&C side because how else are we going to start to impact it otherwise we're only ever going to service eight people and no one else will know what's going on um so you know firstly get that exposure and don't assume that people know what's going on behind those closed doors i think is really important i'm interested to get your opinion on um what your thoughts are around the recruitment side of things so a a lot of you know i've been in conversations with with schools and etc and often what strikes me is kind of what you said where you know obviously the coach coming in is the expert in snc but oftentimes the person doing the recruiting be a director of sport or hr doesn't really know what they're recruiting for 
yeah. or what the level of competency or qualifications or experience should be of that individual. Yeah. So it's an interesting, you know, situation because then it becomes a bit of a lottery, doesn't it? Some schools Absolutely. get a great, yes. great coach yeah. who's qualified to master's level or accredited, yeah. got loads of experience coaching kids. Some, yeah. some get someone straight out of uni. Absolutely. But it's pure chance. And that, and that, I think you've just hit the nail on the head with one of the biggest problems that we're facing within the schools SNC world, if you like, at the moment. And it's something I talked about um, within my UKSCA conference talk. And I said, you know, ultimately that it is a real current problem. And, and I was talking about how I get asked to um, consult on quite a few startup programs now within the private sector um, where they will approach me with their kind of initial ideas, maybe. Um, and I will maybe help and build it and then at that point they'll recruit and and hire somebody new and I went through a whole process um a while back about eight months ago where with one private school we were discussing it the program blah blah I put together what I thought would be kind of quite a good package and all they had to do was recruit the the candidate to deliver if you like um and then it was on the final about half an hour of, of discussions and I thought we were wrapping up and the director of sport said but we need everything sports specific here and I was like oh my word okay so we it was honestly just a almost like we've just wasted eight hours of discussion because if if that's still your thinking after we've just formulated you know what I thought was quite a decent bespoke plan for this environment um you know it's kind of gone in one ear and out the other so you know to for her to have that perception still just kind of demonstrates that actually you don't particularly know what you need to hire here um you know what you think you need to hire is somebody that can coach hockey or coach tennis or coach a specific sport but you have that you know you have that within your setup so I can assure you, you do not need that um but in her mindset that was kind of still what they needed um I think also that the U, you know the UKSCA uh, and obviously I'm on the board now so I'm talking about myself when I'm talking about the UKSCA but we need to be doing a better job of promoting the UKSCA to ensure that that is a standard that is well known um, so that when directors of sport and we need to have that liaison with the private school network and the state schools network to ensure that when these directors of sports or heads of PE, whatever it is, are recruiting for head of SNC or athletic development, they know that the UKSCA is the standard um, and that's what they need to be looking for, that accreditation. Um, because you're right, there's many times and I can think of a couple of programmes off the top of my head which have graduate coaches going in and I'm sure that they're doing their best work but ultimately when you're coming into these types of programs I think they need to be viewed as a senior role um, because you know you may not be managing staff in the early onset of the program but that's got to be the goal you know that you can manage an assistant coach or an intern and, and grow the program um, but it's a senior position because you're going to be managing a whole program you're going to be writing a curriculum you're going to be delivering across the board individual sessions group sessions you're going to be liaising with other members of staff directors of sport versa it's a senior position it's not a graduate role um so i think you know directors of sport need to be a little bit more aware around that um but that's up to us as practitioners isn't it to grow that reputation so that people can be yeah i think that's absolutely huge and i think you could you could structure it like that you could have a graduate coach position if the director of sport was knowledgeable in the area, had you know experience delivering SNC to a good standard, a good understanding of growth, maturation, long-term yeah. athletic development, and a curriculum that they were like, look, this is our curriculum, you're delivering this. Hmm. But to put it on the shoulders of someone fresh out of uni to say, right, you need to come in here, start a program, figure out what you're doing, demonstrate yeah. value, grow it. Like you wouldn't do that in any other department. Like you wouldn't hire an inexperienced, unqualified math teacher and expect no, them to I've do a good job. Department and just say crack on. 
mm. you know, because obviously, yeah, disaster, wouldn't it be? But yeah, for whatever reason, we're not quite at that stage yet. And, you know, it's kind of what I was saying to you earlier. Like, I think for, for me personally, I would really, really encourage any practitioners, what regardless of their experience or their level, if you are coming into a program, view it with the vision of growth, you know, try and find some way to expand it, build it up. Um, because, you know, on a selfish, with a selfish hat on, it's going to mean more money for you. It's going to mean more stability for you uh, in terms of the role. But viewing it as the industry as a whole, you know, you're doing a great service there by proving a concept and proving worth. Mm. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting. Like that, that scenario you described, I've come into so many times of, oh, we need a hockey coach or oh, who can also do a bit of SNC on the side or a rugby coach yeah. who can also do a bit of SNC. And what happens is, yeah, okay, they're probably a good rugby coach, but they're not a good SNC coach. So, no. you know, and I, I hear the stories all the time from my guys who come to me once a week and tell me about someone injuring their shoulder doing a back squat one RM, like this mm. week one of the season and you're 15 years old, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, or, or you know you've got one SNC session a week and you do shoulders like yeah. I'm like this is not yeah. this is not competent strength no. conditioning coaching this is someone who's blagging their way around it because yeah. it's just been lumped onto them I mean, yeah it absolutely yeah and I think that's you know it's quite interesting isn't it because a lot of um a lot of again a lot of programs I've had discussions with would say you know we're aiming to recruit somebody with a qualified teacher status but that can also do their SNC program and it's like okay well you may well find that candidate but you're not going to get somebody that's a specialist in the SNC side, are you? SNC in that environment, in that scenario I've just described, is going to become an afterthought because you're first and foremost you're recruiting a teacher. Um, so you know it's it's kind of educating, isn't it? You know, so so that people mm. can understand the value, I suppose, really, of of hiring a SNC specialist into their environment. Yeah, and as it comes back to exactly what you said about demonstrating value, if you demonstrate the value that this post actually isn't a £10,000 a year plus board because yeah. you're the equivalent of a graduate hockey coach, actually, you've demonstrated value to show you're almost like a department leader. That's a different banding. And yeah. actually, we need to you know readjust that. And I've seen individuals, yeah. not, not just yourself, who've done demonstrate that value and have climbed the ladder. Yeah, um, absolutely. But it is, it, as you said, it's a bit of a unique proposition in each school. Mm -hmm. So you need to it approach is, yeah. it in a specific way. But I think I think also just on that, like it's, it's important because ultimately when you're seeing some of these jobs are, you know, still being advertised at 15K, 17K. And I think it's important to make practitioners aware to not be put off by that, because I know certainly from, you know, the, the projects I've consulted on, people are not staying on those salaries for long if they're building the program and if they're showing worth. Um, so, you know, sometimes it can be a little off putting to think, yeah, I don't really want to work for 15K. Um, but how long are you going to be on that? Because, you know, in three years, you'll probably be on 25 if you're doing a good job. And then you're talking about a more decent salary and start to climb up to the 30s, you know, 40s. So I think it's important to kind of, when you're viewing these things, don't view them as an absolute. You're not going to, if you're doing a good job, I don't personally think in many institutions, you're going to stay on that same, same waiting for very long. Mm. One of the things you mentioned that is, I think, I mean, certainly in my experience, it's pretty unique. I don't, I don't know of other schools doing that, but having it as a, as a paid optional activity is an interesting one. I don't think I've come across mm. other schools who did it like that. Yeah, I think that was quite interesting because when I presented um, that at the UKCA, the amount of people I had coming up to me afterwards um, and one head teacher as well was like, that's a really clever idea. Like we've never thought of that. And I think for me, it, it, it was almost like a bit obvious because I was thinking about how I can grow it and how I can structure it. Um, and I didn't want it to just be the school would take the cash and then I would never see any increase in salary. Um, so for me, a department which was doing really, really well was the music department. 
and I went over there and I spent a bit of time with them um, and I got to know them and I you know kind of once I knew them a bit I infiltrated the questions of like how much do you charge and how does it work um, and they were charging it at around 65 an hour I think it was and they were just getting paid and some if they were a self-employed um music teacher they were they were keeping that and giving i can't remember what the cut was but it was some ratio to them some to the school so it was kind of like a divide um but it proved to be quite a successful model in how they did it and i wouldn't say i came up with anything innovative beyond stealing that exact concept and i said okay well we know that lessons sell at 65 pound an hour within the school environment let's just take it over to a different department and it, it proved quite successful in in how it ran I think most people when they hear that figure will be very surprised because you know potentially there's a whole bit of you know we talked about demonstrating value in terms of you know the school community and to athlete well-being but actually being able to demonstrate financial value as well yeah. to show actually this could be an income generation opportunity. Yeah but I think that's really important because ultimately that's what the bursar wants to see isn't it he wants to see he or she in my situation it was a he wanted to see something that you know they weren't just paying out for another expense for another member of staff they wanted to see where the money's coming in um you know and ultimately kind of the biggest goal you know the biggest income for us was um pupil fees so ultimately uh, by the last cut final years of the program we would have a few people that would come and look around the department and if they were impressed i would always make them you know i would always make sure they say if you like it make sure you're telling the people when you're signing on for the school um, so that they were kind of making that connection of they're coming and one of the reasons that they're coming is because of the athletic development department because of the SNC opportunity so you know so and so from France might have had a really good 11 year old athlete and she's coming over here for our school for this and I think making those connections you know once you can show that you're bringing in a few people like that all of a sudden you know you're very within your rights to go to the the bursa and say I need a 5k pay rise um, because you're bringing in what 120 grand of, of profit like by by letting these people come to the school so yeah it's just kind of making those connections I suppose being a bit explicit with with demonstrating what you're doing mm -hmm. I guess is important so where do you see school-based SNC delivery going in the future like obviously you know that's the area you've been embedded in for a long period of time um you've obviously probably got a quite good feel from it from some of the feedback from the UKSCA conference and stuff what where do you think uh, it's it's going to go in the next five to ten years well I think it's just going to continue to expand it's a real growth area um I think what's looking at it from an insular kind of uh, SNC community point of view first of all I think we're growing in reputation so I remember having a conversation it was only about two years ago with um, a, quite a senior person at the UKCA and their exact terms to me were at your level of coaching um, when they were talking about coaching youth and it was a very derogatory way of talking about um, you know coaching within the school sector because they saw it as a very kind of less than elite if you like um which of course it's not so i think it's growing in reputation and people are now starting to understand that it's not just because you couldn't get a job in elite sport it's a completely different concept um so i think we're growing in in reputation within the snc realm within uh the schools realm i see it expanding so pretty much now within the private sector it's becoming standard and it's becoming the norm that every school will have some some sort of snc department uh, whatever that looks like and that you know it really does vary doesn't it in terms of the level of quality of delivery but hopefully that's only going to increase as we as we build the reputation um, I think you know if we're talking about kind of over the next 
10 to 15 years maybe, I think what I would love to see is some sort of adjustment to the national curriculum so that we can start to infiltrate state schools where financials will always be a problem. So I think until we see some sort of regulation in that, um, that it becomes a requirement of PE to have some sort of SNC or athletic development embedded within that PE curriculum, we're probably not going to see too much change in the state school environment. Um, but, you know, hopefully the UKSCA again can be proactive in that in that process and start to demonstrate actually the importance of having, you know, somebody taking care of this, this athletic development journey for these children as they're coming through school. Mm. It's, it's really interesting that initial comment you made because um, Jared Deacon, a good friend of mine and an ex-colleague at Scottish Rugby says, you know, no one says to a primary school teacher, when are you going to coach high school? Well, oh, sorry, when are you going to teach maths at high school? Or no one says to us, a high school level teacher, when are you going to go and become a further education lecturer? And like, we don't have that yeah. attitude. We recognise in the academic yeah. domain that people are specialists at primary school, secondary yeah. school, university. But there does seem yes. to be this inherent pyramid in coaching. Well, obviously, everyone works to, wants to work with senior internationals. No one wants to work yeah. with kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it, it was honestly like I wouldn't say it really affected me when that person said that because I just thought well obviously it's a twat but it, it's a shame that people still have that perception you know and maybe he's adjusted his viewpoint since but I think it's a real shame because you know to ha not have that understanding that it's almost like a separate discipline is is quite shocking you know and as I said this was quite a senior person that you know people would know so I think that's a real shame but I do think as well that the problem stems from university level so you know if we're looking at most university courses now we're teaching the elite model and again i'll just refer back to a story that i was telling at the UKSCA. so apologies if people have heard it but when when i'm interviewing people to come in as assistant coaches one of the questions i always like to ask is you know what would you do for testing xyz whatever and they would say okay well i'm going to use the force plate blah blah haven't got one what's next okay i'm gonna put the bar like transducer thing i haven't got that next and by this point they're like sweating and they're thinking oh i don't know i don't know and you know by that point my, my point has kind of been proven and i'm not doing it to make them feel uncomfortable but actually i'm seeing do you actually know how to coach somebody when i haven't got any pieces of kit and quite often the answer is no you know which we can't really look at them and say that that's your fault for not knowing that if somebody's fresh out of their master's degree, they should be knowing that. Um, but our master's degrees and some of our undergrads aren't covering this. You know, they're not covering how you're gonna run a movement screen. They're not covering the basics of what you should be seeing in, in these fundamental movement patterns. They're not covering how to strength train somebody with no equipment, how to use gymnastic body weight type style movements. Um, you know, so we're kind of doing them a disservice if you like. And then it's quite funny that us as practitioners are then surprised when people are coming out the other end of these university degrees, not knowing these facts. Yeah, 100%. And the problem is if they're not covering it at, you know, sports science degrees and they're not covering it in PE, either, they're not covering it at all. Um, no. But I, I've had exactly the same experience of, you know, people coming out. And, and if I think back to myself in my undergrad, I think we had one module that was special populations. And within yeah. that was lumped, you know, Paralympic sports, youth athletes, the elderly. So I think we had yeah. one or two lectures on youth athletes. But the irony, of course, is you come out of uni, or where are all the opportunities? All the opportunities yeah. are with athletes at academies, schools, yeah. you know, um, national governing bodies. Like such a small minority of people working at senior international level. So if yeah. you've learned all this content that's applicable to a minority and you haven't learned yeah. the vast you know, knowledge that you need, that is where the vast majority of opportunities are. So I think you're right, it's yeah. upside down. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, let's, 
is it because that people that are delivering on these university courses think that actually we should be just delivering a filtered down version of this elite model? And if that's the case, then obviously they, you know, people need to be updating their knowledge because that's not true at all. So, you know, we definitely need to kind of be thinking about actually how we're structuring what we're teaching in higher education. Mm, yeah, 100%. And, and it, the problem is, you know, I've, I've heard um, Kevin Giles speak about this as well, is like the road to high performance and wellness for society starts with the development. Yeah. You know, so, you, you know, yet we all want to do contrast sets and, you know, I don't know, you know, cluster sets and all that kind of stuff. But if you can't do a squat of any form, yeah. it doesn't matter. That stuff's irrelevant. You know, we need yeah. exactly as you said, let's go back to the basics. What are the fundamentals that everyone needs, including yeah. the high performer and including the kid who has no aspirations to play at a high level? They yeah. all need the same stuff at that point in time. So that's what is going to give us our biggest bang for buck at youth level. And it's not, yeah. as you say, talking about force plates and mm. you know, potentiation, all this kind of stuff. Like people often yeah. when they come and see me coach, are really surprised at how simple what I do is because oh, I'm yeah. like, that's all they need. They don't need the kitchen yeah. sink thrown at them. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's again, why, you know, for me, I would always welcome other coaches to come and see what I was doing because honestly, I, I had nothing secretive going on. It was, it was probably very boring to look at. It was very basic in, in its what it was delivering. It was, can we do the fundamental movements? Can we do them well? Have we got the basic lifts? Can we do them well? Um, and, and that was kind of it, obviously thrown in a few little bits here and there, but there, there was nothing secretive to it whatsoever. Hmm. So you've obviously moved on from Queensland School now, obviously maternity leave round two. So what's next yep. for you in the next 12 to 18 months? You started a new role, I understand. Yeah, so I started at the University of Chichester now. Um, so again, hopefully start to implement some of the things that I was talking about, um, hoping to kind of shape shape the the next generation, if you like, I suppose, coming through into these, these really important type roles. Um, I continue with a lot of consultancy work around schools. So again, like I was talking about, just discussing on the development of, of these type roles um, and just started on the UKSCA board as well. So again, hoping to have that impact up there to try and, one affect the the gender gap within within the the snc world and the sports coaches but also you know how can we how can we be more visible as the ukca to make sure that people know that we are the standard you know that that's what they should be recruiting for so um yeah and doing the phd as well alongside all of that so yeah. keeping so plenty of spare time Oh, yeah, loads. <laughs> Never mind two kids as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been awesome picking your brain today. Thanks so much for being so, you know, transparent around the program and around some of the other bits and bobs. Hopefully that's left people with, a, you know, the directors of sport or PE teachers or young SNC coaches with a lot of food for thought around yeah. how they can be impactful and, and show value. But, um, you know, fair play to you for, for what you've done in building out that program and for putting your money where your mouth is in terms of getting involved with the, the directorship of the UKSCA. So thanks so much for your time today. It's been, been really great. No, thank you for having me, Rob. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love your support by leaving a rating or review on your chosen podcast player. You can also find us on social media using at LTAD Network. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform, as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50.